Hello, you're listening to Meet the Locals, an insider's guide to British Airways destinations, where locals give you the lowdown on what to do, what to see and where to go in their city. My name's Heidi Fullerlove, and today we're going to meet the locals in the beautiful British Airways destination of Crete in Greece. But before we meet the locals, here are some fast facts. Fast fact number one, Crete is Greece's largest island, and it would take you about six hours to drive from Citia in the east to Hania in the west. Fast fact number two, there are two main airports in Crete, in Heraklion and Hania, and British Airways flies to both of them. From the UK, you can expect a flight time of around four hours. And finally, although Heraklion is now the island's capital, Hania was the capital for many centuries, and these days the two cities do politely squabble over who is best. Our first stop in the northwest of the island is Hania, where our local guide Theodorus from Crete Urban Adventures is going to show us some of the city's main sites. Crete is famed for its leather goods, so we're going to head for the city's lively market area, where, if you know where to look, you can still find traditional items and quite few bargains. And uh, the Cretan leathers date back to the early 18th, 19th century. So after the Ottoman Empire degenerated, the governing of the island was given away to the Egyptian governor. The Egyptian army was part of the Ottoman troops. The Egyptian governor at his presence identified the fact that although we had a great number of animals on the island, the locals were not aware of uh, the techniques and could not work with their skins. So they brought artisans from Egypt and they taught the locals the art of tannery and they also erected uh, Egyptian tannery workshops which are historically preserved monuments that we can see at some point in our tour. We walk through the narrow cobbled streets of Hania's old town, beneath the wooden balconies of ancient houses framed by Scarlet and Caramel Bougainvilliers, and Theodorus tells me that over the centuries, Crete has been occupied by the Venetians and the Turkish Ottomans, and was even independent for nearly a decade after Ottoman forces were expelled in 1898. From the time that we, we took a, a right turn, we entered the district which is dedicated to the Cretan leathers and specifically the Cretan leather boots. Uh, Stivanadica is a place uh, where most of the leather manufacturers are hosted. And I know there is one guy in this district that can make Cretan leather boots and Cretan leather sandals according to your own measures and preferences. The last remaining artisan that we can find towards the end of the Stivanadica. His name is Mr. Katsulakis. Leaving the line of small shops selling Cretan leather boots behind us, we head for the city's cathedral, dedicated to the Virgin of the Three Martyrs, who is Hanya's patron saint. So, during the time of uh, the Ottomans, like the 17th century, they turned the Christian Orthodox Cathedral into a soap factory. So at that time there was an incident and the son of the local sultan fell inside the well that is located right behind it. Uh, The sultan asked the Virgin Mary for protection and when his son was saved, 
he gave uh, the cathedral back to the Christian Orthodox community. <laughs> that, that was cool. Though. It's going to be 12. In this cathedral, we can find uh, we can find some differences in relation to the other Catholic cathedrals that you would find in another city. So, first of all, since it is dedicated to the Virgin Mary, we can find uh, the st her statue being upon the altar instead of the crucified Jesus, as it would be characteristic of a Catholic uh, Catholic Church. And uh, you can also see that uh, it's decorated with more vivid colors. From the cathedral, it's an easy walk to Hanya's picturesque old Venetian harbour, where odours of aniseduzo and strong Greek coffee float over the cafes lining the seafront, and horse-drawn carriages trot back and forth over the paving stones, past hawkers selling pastries and sweets. Right on the eastern part of the port, we can find a network of what used to be 23 gigantic buildings, that used to be the Venetian arsenals, working both as uh, arsenals, warehouses and dockyards. We enter one of the huge vaulted buildings and we meet the 80-year-old guardian who has been building boats here since he was a boy. Our, our friend, who has been, uh, he has been part of the arsenal mm -hmm. and part of uh, the dockyard for over 60, 60 years. He still has many stories to tell us and every time he will tell us something new. Can you just ask him, has he built any boats himself? Με ρωτάει αν έχετε φτιάξει βάρκες εσείς ο ίδιος εδώ μέσα. Πολλές. A great number. Yeah. He, has, he has built and repaired a great number. Το μηνοϊκό εγώ δεν το έχω φτιάξει. Uh, they have also built the Minoan ship, which is like a, a replica of the Minoan ship that made the long journey to Malta. And they constructed it right inside this arsenal with the help of this man. Theodorus leaves me at Hanya's Maritime History Museum, where the square-sailed Minoan ship is housed. The museum has a huge collection of other exhibits, including artefacts from ancient shipwrecks, miniature reproductions of warships, and an entire floor dedicated to the Battle of Crete in World War II. When I leave the museum, the sun is setting in a vivid scarlet line over Hanya's Egyptian lighthouse. Feeling hungry, I head out to enjoy dinner with the owner of one of Hanya's best restaurants. Uh, my name is Chrysostomos Orofanoudakis. Uh, I am the owner of Chrysostomos restaurant uh, and I am from Annopolis, Fakion. Fakia is uh, it's a special area and life was not easy uh, all the time, all the, the former years there. So they had no great luxuries, uh, not many materials. So they have to survive and to create a, a special uh, cuisine with the materials they had. So uh, they have many specialities which only in Svakia. I had uh, experience from my grandmother uh, many, many years ago because she lived in Ayos Ioannis, another village where the street end. You have to to cross the Aradena Bridge, is a Aradena Gorge, and then they have a bridge, and after is Ayos Ioannis. 
So when I was a child, I spent my summer holidays, uh, Eastern holidays, Christmas holidays there. First time I, I cook was in uh, not in a restaurant but in a separate house. So in the fa- in the house we call it mitato. Is the in the mountains the house the separate house in the mountain. We have to cook. It was far away from the village and we stay there for two three weeks without contact with the civilization. And the cheese we do that time there, it was the same uh, method like many thousand years ago. No electricity, nothing. We just make fire, put the milk there, and we do it with a traditional way. And uh, then, after some years, I decided to make, uh, I had the idea to make there a wood oven. And make um, food in the wood oven also. And then I I realized that this was a very good idea and the people like it. And then I thought this was in the city of Hanya and until that time was not another restaurant like that. My first speciality I do in the other restaurant and here after it was cigariasto. Cigariasto is lamb or goat. We cut it small pieces. Uh, we cook it with olive oil and salt. This is a traditional recipe we do only in Sfakia. We also have Svakia and cheese pie. Tip only original recipe from, from uh, Svakia. We also made lamb or goat with in the, in the farmer houses only uh, with staka. They like cream of milk. Can we make a break to drink our right here? With restaurants like Chrysostomus opening their doors, Hanya has been enjoying a bit of a gourmet renaissance in recent years, and you'll also find fabulous food at restaurants like Tamam and Cuisina EPE in the city centre. It's also well worth heading out of town to Dunyas in the mountain village of Draconia, where food is cooked in clay pots over an open fire. Heading out of town myself the next day, I drive to Kornas, Crete's only freshwater lake. Here I meet up with biologist Dr. Harris Saslis, who runs Forage Crete, a company that organises wild food foraging trips into the Cretan mountains. I, I think I'll attract people who would like to see another part of Crete. Um, everyone, knows about, everyone knows about the beautiful coastline, um, but the inland is not, it has been neglected. Um, a lot of people come to Crete and all they see is the coastline. So I think I'll attract people who like nature, who would like to see something um, on Crete. Whoa, <laughs> we've got traffic. <laughs> oh, <there you> go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's nothing we can do about that. <laughs> Once we manage to get past the huge flock of sheep who are on their way to pasture in the valley below, we park the car and hike up into the mountains. So I spent most of my summers up until the age of 10 um, um, in the village with my grandmother, Mojos, a beautiful village up on the mountain. And that, that was one of the day activities. We would just go out for a walk um, and we would collect horta, greens during the day. So I, I would say that collecting greens was a, a woman's activity <laughs> back in the day. Wear a wig and hide. <laughs> I can pull it off. <laughs> I, I don't think I'm strong enough to be a Cretan woman. Pausing to chat and sit water along the way, we climb the ancient goat's trails in hot sunshine, seeking edible plants. Here we have wild carrot. Ah, okay. yeah. So these are actually 
so we're eating its tender leaves again we'll make sure that we'll only collect a few leaves because there's obviously a carrot growing underneath <laughs> we find gallet cedar a member of the dandelion family whose leaves contain a milky white liquid and lepatha or sorrel both of these plants are delicious cooked in pastries or steamed and dressed with olive oil and lemon juice and just a sprinkling of sea salt and further on we find wild oregano Cretan oregano is apparently the best in the world People, um, botanists from the University of Thessaloniki have studied oregano from all across the Mediterranean. Mm. So they did analysis in how much essential oil different oregano species and different uh, plants produce. And the one from Crete apparently produces the most. <laughs> it's the tastiest of oregano and the most potent, the strongest um, oregano flavor. We try to have the most minimal impact that we can have. So we wouldn't collect everything, but we'd leave at least two-thirds of um, the bush that we see in front of us. So we would collect it, and then we'd prepare something with fresh oregano in the evening. So it would definitely be a, a roast. Um, oregano is beautiful in, in roast. Even just potatoes with, with lemon and olive oil and oregano and a bit of salt, and that's really all you need. <laughs> okay, I'm coming around later. <laughs> I leave Dr. Harris to forage for his supper and I take the picturesque coastal route which winds and twists its way to Heraklion on the northern seashore in a couple of hours. Here I meet another local who's keen to give her tips on top things to do in Crete's lively capital. My name is Eleni Vujukalaki. I work at the tourism department of the region of Crete. Crete is famous, and Heraklion in particular, for the Minon uh, civilization uh, that flourished like uh, 3,000 uh, years ago. And we have the world-famous uh, Palace of Knossos, which, which lies only like five kilometers from downtown Heraklion. And uh, after that, definitely the Archaeological Museum of Heraklion, which was recently renovated, uh, and uh, hosts uh, exhibits from all over the island, but definitely the most significant, uh, the god with the snakes from the Palace of Knossos or the famous axis, the ceremonial axis, uh, the Discos Festus, which was uh, the, the first hieroglyphic script of the Minions, found in the second biggest palace uh, of the Minoan civilization in Festos, which is uh, in, the, in the southern part of uh, Heraklion. There's a museum at the place uh, of birth of uh, our famous novelist, uh, the Creta Nikos Kazantzakis, who wrote uh, Alexis Zorbas. And uh, once you're in Heraklion, you should definitely uh, visit the Old Harbor uh, with a Venetian fortress called Kules, which was... uh, uh, the Turkish name, or Roca Mare, which was the, the Venetian name. It's uh, re- quite amazing uh, inside because it has got the findings from shipwrecks. Uh, another ideal for me walk would be for someone to walk on the old Venetian walls of Heraklion to get a view of the city as well from, to- from the top. Uh, beside the Venetian walls, there are small the- open-air theatres with uh, traditional music uh, because there are many festivities uh, celebrating either uh, uh, some saint, so it is uh, St. George or is it St. Uh, uh, Pantelemon's Day, so we have a local fest in that village. And this is where you should go and test uh, the food and the wine and the traditional uh, dishes with a lot of meat, <laughs> either ofto or adikristo as they call it here, which is uh, uh, roasted in an open fire. 
try so the local cheese and the pastries and the wine. There are 11 local varieties of wine. See the dance, see the, uh, people uh, laughing and dancing and welcoming everybody because this is what uh, we feel like doing in our place, that we need to welcome everyone who has honored us by coming to Crete. Eleni whetted my appetite to find out more about Crete's capital city. I decide to discover the history of the city whilst getting off the beaten track and enjoying some of that local cuisine on a foodies feast tour of Heraklion with Theo and Maria from Crete Urban Adventures. Our first stop is one of the city's best bakeries. The name of the owner is Veneris. Uh, it's a, an old bakery, an old, I mean, with tradition, eh, because it's a new building, renovated, and they have a lot of um, uh, unique recipes, and they also have a coffee shop in the, in the bakery and the restaurant that they prepare every day uh, traditional uh, food, Cretan traditional food. This is what I see. They have all, every day, they have different kinds of Cretan recipes. You can find everything here. Uh, look. <laughs> Very delicious, yes. Uh, there are sweets from uh, Minor Asia. The, these uh, recipes, they came from Turkey. Yes. So this are, uh, it's pastry with nuts, normally pastry with nuts and syrup, baklavas. Uh, there's also galactobureko, which is a pastry with cream, uh, white cream, vanilla cream, and syrup. All these uh, sweets, they have syrup. Although it's only mid-morning, the cafe of the bakery is packed with people perched on straight-backed wooden chairs, drinking thick, syrupy Greek coffee, and eating cakes. We take a table beneath black and white photos of the owner's grandfather, and Maria tells me what we are about to eat. Maria knows better to explain about Kuluri is a kind of bread with a lot of sesame. Uh, it's not um, very soft like the normal bread. It's a little more, they cook it a little more. And it has a very small sweetness, very small, because they put sugar in the sesame. And it's the best for breakfast because it gives you energy with not so many calories, which is very important, of course. <laughs> Rarely we find tourists here. It's only for locals. To go to a bakery uh, or to a cafe is part of, culture, of our culture here. It's uh, socializing is something very important because especially for the old men because they they adore to uh, speak all the time about politics or if I became prime minister for one day I'm gonna do this for the country and all this okay. We wander through Heraklion until we reach 1866 Street, home of the city's central market area where stalls and small shops sell everything from spices and fruit to leather goods and handmade lace. Maria tells me it's time for lunch. And of course you can find some very old traditional coffee shops where you can not only drink your coffee, you can drink your raki. Raki is a very famous Cretan spirit made out of grapes, you know, very strong, 
a lot of alcohol. Yes. <laughs> you have to slowly. drink it slowly and always with MSM. And uh, we would like you to taste some of these Cretan tapas. <laughs> Taking a seat at a Cafe Neon, one of the small tavernas serving medzi snacks and drinks in the heart of the bustling market, we chill Greek style, watching the world go by as we wait to be served. Local people, you can see in our shop and in opposite in the other shop, that they, are, they have the tradition to come every morning here in the market and to read, to read their newspaper, to have a coffee, to talk with their friends. The snacks are served to our table. Artichoke hearts swimming in the tavern owner's homegrown olive oil, vlita, boiled greens dressed with lemon juice, and kochli, snails swimming in a delicious garlic and rosemary sauce. I asked Maria why the taverna is called Methia. Uh, Methia. Uh, you can see Ethia is the name of the village, but uh, when you put M in front of the, uh, the rest of the world, it means uh, be drunk, to be drunk. Huh? Yamas is something like how the police say in Azrovie, to our help. Yes. We end our tour at the statues of Aretusa and Erotokritos, Crete's version of Romeo and Juliet. Uh, the story goes that Erotokritos, this man, is in love with Aretusa. But what's the problem? Aretusa is the daughter of the king. Of course. And Erotokritos, of course is a very poor guy, <laughs> he has no money, he's not coming from a rich family, so the father of Aretusa doesn't want him for, you know, for he, his daughter, so he sent him away of the town. Yes, to the end, At like the end, yes. He saves the, uh, the city, he saves the war, he yes. saves the girl, and he's a superhero, and that's the reason we have a happy end, we have yes. the wedding, a lot of children, a lot of wealthy, and all this. Waving goodbye to Tio and Maria, I head out for my final destination. A two-hour drive from Heraklion, the tiny fishing port of Ilonda was a magnet for jet-setters in the 60s and 70s when Greek shipping millionaire Aristotle Anassis spent his summers here with Jackie. But nowadays, most people come here to visit Spinalonga, the leper island of Victoria Hislop's best-selling novel. Since 1881... The medical doctors of Crete were looking for an isolated island to announce the leper colony because leprosy was a big problem in that period. And in Crete they had this idea to turn an abandoned island into a leper colony. After a 20-minute boat ride from Elanda's pretty fishing port with Aeolus Cruises, I'm touring the tiny rugged island with guide Eleni. 1904, they arrived for the first time, the lepers here. And the situation is awful. Over there, we have some items of the leper colony, but they belong well to the period when the hospital was organized. Actually, in the beginning, lepers were living around the big cities, mainly around Heraklion, in caves, 
they bring them here. They offer, they offer them a house. They offer them a portion of bread and a small pension to each one. But they put guards, so they feel imprisoned. And this makes a huge difference to their psychology. They feel they were thrown here to die. This person, Epaminondas Remundaitis, was 12 years old, 1927, when he was diagnosed for the first time with leprosy. His sister was already in Spinaloga. He had two elder brothers who were in Athens studying medicine. So his father decided to send him away to avoid the enclosure in Spinalonga. So he sends young Remundakis, the 12-year-old boy, in Athens. Remundakis has a chance to continue studying, something that was missing from inside here, because most of the lepers, they were peasants. He was 21 when he was finally caught, when he was caught for a second time and sent to Spinalonga. He arrives in 1936. So first of all, he got the support of the public opinion. But he goes beyond all this and he succeeds to gain for Spinalonga incredible things like, for instance, the formation of uh, one of the best organized hospitals of that period. Altogether, they convince a technical company to donate a generator, so Spinalonga becomes the first place of Crete to ever have electricity and the first place of Crete to ever have a cinema. Now, you can imagine that 1937, the opposite side, the mainland, the healthy side, has no cash, no technology, no electricity, no nothing in Spinalonga. All the daytime there is soft music, classical music playing in the streets at 9 o'clock at night. And 9 o'clock at night it is illuminated. Well, the other side doesn't know what electricity is yet. You've been listening to Meet the Locals. Remember to look out for Meet the Locals guides to other destinations on your next British Airways flight.